Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Corporate Communications at Stiefel, joined by Brian Gardner, our Chief Washington Policy Strategist. Hey, Brian. Neil, how you doing? I'm doing good. And, you know, I, we always start off with sports. And people always say it's not a sports podcast, but sports, politics, they all go hand in hand. They're both compact, they, combat. They are. And in politics, everyone likes a good comeback story. And everyone likes an underdog. I'm not joking with you, Brian. Based on what I've seen, I don't think it's compl- it's very unlikely, but it's not entirely out of the question that the Giants end up with that number seven seed, that last wild card spot. It's not impossible. You're absolutely right. Neil, I put on 20 pounds overnight because after that big win, the comeback win. You made some cutlets? I I downed an entire serving of chicken parm last yeah. night. I mean, just I am here for Tommy DeVito. I'm so pumped up about it. it's. I don't care what happens the rest of the season, whether they make the playoffs, don't make the playoffs. This has been a fun ride, right? And it, it's 100%. just a hundred percent. And look, I watch a lot of the red zone, and none of those potential NFC wildcard teams with the exception of Dallas or Philadelphia, because they keep swapping and it's unfortunate they're in the same division uh, for those teams, but none of those other teams that are in the mix, Minnesota, Green Bay, the Giants, the Rams, the Seahawks, none of them are that much better than any of the others. So any of those guys can make it. So look, you know, looking at the Giants schedule, two of the games they have left are against the Eagles. So that that's, that's really tough for the Giants. So let, let's yeah. know what it is. And I know the Eagles ha- have not been playing as well as they have been, but they're cl- they're head and shoulders above the Giants. So you need yeah. the Giants would need a pair of upsets there. But the other two games are against the Saints this weekend and in a couple of weeks against the Rams. So yeah. they, 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 they control to an extent their own destiny because they're playing other teams that they're contending with. Yeah, somewhat. Those games against Philadelphia are going to be tough because Philadelphia will also be having something to play for because they're going to go back and forth with Dallas as to who's going to win the division and who's going to win the wild card. And then it opens up all these arguments that we've heard many times before that a team like Atlanta or Tampa or whoever wins that South division is going to get a home game. Most likely they're not even going to finish at 500. And then you're going to have Dallas or Philadelphia who conceivably could win 12 games and have to be on the road. Yep. So, all right. So um, that's the latest sports update. We haven't even discussed the Jets. I mean, talk about comeback. Zach Wilson. Yeah. I mean, uh, the Jets have found their quarterback for next year. Too little, too late. But it was a nice win while we had it. I mean, it was especially interesting because that game was 0-0 at halftime. Yeah. Jets scored all 30, I think it was 31 points, all of it in the second half, which is very unusual. But you have to, after that game, you have to feel good for Zach Wilson. He's been through a lot. Some of it is of his own doing. I get that. But I don't think the Jets have ever done him any great favors in terms of teams they've run for him, the protection he gets. Is he a starting quarterback in the NFL? No, I don't think. I agree with you. I, 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 I think the Jets have made a bad situation worse. And it was nice to see him get that win. Agree. And the, all, the other takeaway I would say from that is, you know, 
sometimes you could see a person's um, natural talent, not all the intangibles. But when you say to yourself, I'm just going to go out there. There's nothing worse that could happen to me. I've already been benched twice. The team's out of the playoffs. I'm just going to go out there and give it everything I have. And you have a good game. It shows that you do have natural talents and abilities. It's all the intangibles that you can't teach someone. How do you deal with the pressure of New York? How do you react to a loss? How do you bounce back from these things? Those things... Um, I don't know if he's got that. And to your point, I don't think the Jets have helped him in any way, shape or form. But it was good to see that, you know, he's got the he's got talent, which is what the Jets obviously saw when they drafted him. And it's hard to doubt that. Agreed. Yep. All right. Well, now that we've ended the the sports portion of the podcast, let's uh, let's talk about politics. And the first thing I, I think I got to start with you, Brian, is, you know, with everything that's been going on in the world, Ukraine has sort of taken a little bit of a backseat, at least with the headlines. But it'll it'll definitely bubble back up to the surface now because President Zelensky's in the United States. He's in Washington. He's got a laundry list of meetings. He's got a meeting with the president. He's talking to congressional leaders. I've seen some of the photo ops. I'm assuming, Brian, he's here looking for money. But I guess the question is, you know, what are the chances that he leaves here um, with some level of support that Congress is going to approve additional aid for Ukraine? I, I think they're very low. Uh, he's yeah. not there. There's not going to be an aid package passed before the end of the year. Um, uh, there have been meetings going on today, and I think um, just in the last little while, um, folks have been walking out of the room. Key Senate um, uh, key senators are walking out of the room and saying, acknowledging that they cannot finish an aid package um, by the end of the year. So that that would then kind of punt it into early 2024. And the question, you know, can you pass it then? That'd be tricky. Um, it's not impossible, but tricky to pass it in 24 and for several reasons. So um, so the, the aid package, you mentioned Ukraine, but it's also aid for Israel, aid for Taiwan, more money for the border. Um, that really has been tied more to um, now not just money for the border, but changes in immigration policy. Um, so, you know, Biden had proposed more money, but Republicans want changes in parole, asylum policies. Um, Democrats, there are a number of Democrats that kind of acknowledge they have to do something, but what that is is unclear. Um, progressives in particular have pushed back against the policy changes. So, um, for now, the negotiations have been sidelined. Um, th- those who have been in the room have, have kind of acknowledged they can't finish it this week. Congress will be out of session next week. So we're, we're into to 24. Well, so you mentioned we're into 24, but it seems to me, and you're the expert, it seems to me that 2024 would be not a slam dunk either because, I mean, we're going to be heading into an election and this becomes very political, No. Not just the election. I mean, we we start the year um, with a budget debate. the The current uh, continuing resolution expires in mid January, so a lot of the bandwidth will be um, uh, and attention will be focused on passing spending bills uh, during the first two three weeks of January. Um, passing a a supplemental for foreign aid and immigration is going to be very very tough. Um, and then again, like you mentioned, the further you get into twenty four the more it's an election year. Like, don't forget, you know, I, I mentioned mid-January in terms of um, of the spending bills, but January 15th is the Iowa caucuses. And you know, so um, 
as you get into the year, um, political incentives um, will be against doing a deal. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's 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 talk about politics and the the caucus and the primary in a minute. But just um, keeping with foreign policy and, and keeping with um, subjects on the campaign trail, China, um, a favorite topic of President Trump, obviously, and from his first administration, um, you know, before COVID, the number one topic on his agenda, some would say. Um, I did see some headlines this morning about China and Congress. What what was that? So, you know, when when Republicans took over the House, they created um, a select committee. Uh, it's called the Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. And it's it's uh, intended to focus on competitiveness, competitiveness issues and national security vis-a-vis China. And this morning, the committee issued a report on economic competition with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, that report includes you know, numerous uh, policy areas, trade, investments in China, taxes, export controls, transparency, R&D, the, the whole host of, of issues. Um, now, the select committee doesn't have legislative authority, so they can hold hearings, they can issue this report, and they'll probably issue other reports. But the recommendations that they have in there on how to legislate and how to change policy, that has to go through other committees, um, financial services, ways and means, others. Um, so there have been talks ongoing, uh, on, on China, uh, trade policy. Um, there were attempts to get some changes in the, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act. Um, you know, this is surrounding outbound investments in China. And there are a couple of competing approaches, a pair of competing approaches. Um, one approach would require American firms to notify the government. Uh, of any investments in China, 14 days ahead of the investments, kind of like the the regime that's in in place right now for CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. This would be going out of the United States to China, but it's just a notification regime. Um, another approach, different approach, would be to identify key Chinese companies linked to the 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 ruling party in China. And it would effectively bar U.S. firms from investing in those Chinese companies. Now, um, you know, there's there's no perfect way of doing this. Each approach has its pluses, has its minuses. Um, but I think Congress is going to consider these competing approaches and, and put it into legislation in 24. And th- there's nothing guaranteed that it's going to pass. Um, but I, I think there's a good chance that one of these these um proposals does pass in, in 24 again not guaranteed but yeah i think we're going to be talking about china policy a lot in early 2024 interesting all right well let's stick to 2024 we've talked a little bit about the election so it does appear that nikki haley who seems to be on the republican side at least for now um the closest competitor that trump has to the republican nomination and that's you know it's all relative neil i mean it's, it's, i was just going to say and that's not saying a lot because he's got still has a huge lead it does appear that she um nikki haley is going to pick up another endorsement from the governor of new hampshire which of course we know is the next contest after iowa after the iowa caucus so it seems like historically or traditionally that could be significant but in this election cycle, these endorsements don't seem to move the needle much, do they? I would argue they rarely do. I mean, yeah. I think we put so much, uh, people in the press put so much into endorsements, they don't matter. 
Mm. Um, matter of fact, yeah. So Governor Sununu is going to endorse Haley. Um, so it appears. Um, you know, he's done other endorsements in other races, going back to 2022 in the midterm races, and it didn't have that big of an impact. Voters do not pay attention, even in a small state like New Hampshire, with a Sununu name carrying. Yeah, that family exactly. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dynasty. Uh, yeah. New Hampshire, but I still don't think it it, it matters. Um, and then you get, you know, okay, so let's just say it does help her, hypothetically, um, because it, it doesn't hurt her, let's put it that way. Um, right. But, you know, Donald Trump still has a huge lead nationally, and in those key early states, Iowa and New Hampshire, there has been no tightening, no no significant tightening uh, of the race. Um, so unless there's some unseen event, unforeseen event that dramatically changes the race, Trump remains the overwhelming yeah. favorite to be the GOP nominee. It would seem like maybe this could help her, not the endorsement itself, but if the endorsement gave her a little juice in a state like New Hampshire and she outperforms, maybe she gets some more money and she's able to you know, keep it going longer. Yeah, so, so she does not lack for money. She, uh, she has run a very good campaign. Um, they've done well on fundraising. Um, let, let me give you the scenario in which I think Nikki Haley could win the nomination, or at least make a, a a real challenge to Trump. Wow, that and and by the way, I think there's a long shot. So this is this is kind of fantasy land. But, All right, well that's fun. But, um, so she's currently third in Iowa. Um, she would have to jump over Ron DeSantis, and that's not a a huge ask. She's only a couple points back, so that, that's that's quite doable. But she's about thirty points behind Trump in in Iowa. So not only jump over DeSantis and get second, but finish second behind Donald Trump by only single digits, right? It it has to be a single digit loss. But that would build significant momentum into New Hampshire where she's already in second place. She's closer to Trump in uh in New Hampshire and maybe that changes the dynamic of the race. And then from there she goes to South Carolina, where she used to be governor, right. she's she's not she's not leading in South Carolina either. Uh, you know, so that's that's the scenario that would have to play out in order for somebody, and I think Haley is the only person uh, in position to to take advantage of it to then challenge Trump for the nomination. But you know, a thirty point deficit in Iowa, a twenty seven point deficit in New Hampshire. 50-point deficit nationally, no movement in the polls forever. Um, it's, it's, I, I don't, I, you know, maybe there's something out there. Yeah. It, it would have to be such a shock to the system. It's it's really kind of tough to, to theorize what yeah. that shock to the system might be. So going back to the way we opened the podcast, I think if you, I think that the Giants' chances of getting that seventh wild card are probably at this point greater than any of the candidates, Haley included. No, I, I, I think the, uh, I, I think the Giants are in, I think the Giants are in better shape for the playoffs than uh, either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis is for the yeah. nomination. There's no doubt in my mind. So let me throw one other thing out there and, and then we could wrap up because this is going to be, I'm sure, a topic that we talk about from now on, on every podcast in some extent. But one other issue. So you talked about ways that maybe someone could catch Trump on the Republican side. But what about um, all these cases against him? We know that they haven't, the polls have not 
you know, budged at all. If anything, they seem to give him a little juice with his supporters every time he's, you know, he faces another one, another one of these cases. But um, we talk about him being prosecuted, but not necessarily convicted of anything. And I know that there's been some talk that the Supreme Court could actually intervene potentially on whether or not Trump can actually be prosecuted. Yeah. What do you make of all this? So Jack Smith, who is running the prosecution for the documents case in in um, in uh, Florida, yeah, excuse me, uh, he, he's he's running one of the uh, of the cases. I'm sorry, uh, but um, he's asked the court to intervene on whether Trump, like you said, is immune from prosecution. Um, I I think that's a big deal because while the while the prosecutions have definitely helped Trump in the uh, GOP primary, it's always been a question of what would the impact be in the general election. And we've never really known that there's no, it hasn't really been polled um, until recently. So what I'm about to say, take it with a grain of salt. These are polls. It's far out. Um, uh, Things can change, but Trump is polling better than he ever has ever. Um, and Joe Biden's numbers are weak. The interesting thing is in the recent Wall Street Journal poll, which kind of confirmed what every other poll has been saying with Trump up several points, um, it also asked whether a conviction would change voters' minds. A conviction. Um, It's a hypothetical question. People might react differently if that would ever to come to pass, if Trump was actually convicted. Um, so you, you have to take that with a grain of salt. But I thought it was really interesting that poll that had Trump up by several points, the Wall Street Journal poll, it showed that if Trump was convicted, he would no longer lead, that Biden would have a one point lead. Hmm. So there, there is, this is a lot the, of ifs. This is, but this is the first data point to extent that polling's data um, to suggest that the, the prosecution's uh, conviction would hurt yeah well and the other thing is we're talking about polls i mean some of the economic numbers uh you could argue are kind of turning in biden's favor um you know people seem to be expressing a little bit more confidence in the economy inflation seems to be somewhat under control the stock market has had a nice little rally to to end the year again we're a long way to 24 but since you mentioned polling it does seem like there might be some economic um, you know, benefit that Biden could see. Yes. At least for now. Yeah. I mean, turn. Um, his, his, his polling numbers on the, on the handling of the economy are, are terrible and Trump's correct. Um, so, and that's why I bring this up because maybe, maybe there's at least some signs, positive signs for him. I, I think, I think it can go either way, Neil. Um, mm. you know, it, it, it if the economy if the economy doesn't dip into recession um and if you look at all the forecasts it's going to be weak growth for next year but not recession then maybe um biden can make a case um that the economy's done well enough under him if yeah. it, if it dips mm-hmm. into recession um you know there's a long history of incumbent presidents who had a recession a year or so out from election day who lost yeah not a lot not many who have survived that so yeah um he may also have some interest rate cuts 
by the election. I would argue, Neil, that cu- that also cuts both ways. Why? Well, of course, you're right. Why are they cutting rates? Why are they cutting rates? Yeah, of course. The economy's weak. That's yeah. not a, that's not a positive sign for an incumbent president. A hundred percent. And that actually was a a, a good story. Um, just to give our friends at Bloomberg a, a little bit of a nod, there was actually recently a good story. Our Stiefel chief economist, Lindsay Piegzo, was quoted in it, examining this very issue. And all the markets are expecting rate cuts next year, but why would the why would the Fed be cutting? And should you be? You might be elated that they're cutting, but should you be more alarmed about why they would be cutting? I guess was the that's, crux that's of the article. Exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Well, more for us to talk about, Brian. Can't solve everything in one podcast episode. No, but I, I, I do think this is probably looking at the calendar. This might be our last for the year. I mean, season two. This could yeah. be the wrap for season two. It's been a As good. Let, let, let's let's. I mean, let's not pat ourselves on the back, but it's 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 been a good year. Has your agent, by the way, gotten any word on season three? Because it's been eerily quiet for me. Uh, negotiations uh, are ongoing, uh, but I, I I don't want to delve into that. that. That's kind of those are private conversations. Got it. All right. So we have a lot coming up in 24, assuming we are renewed. We'll have season three of the podcast. We've got the presidential election. We've got activity in Congress. We've got the Fed. A lot, a lot of stuff that we can look forward to next year, assuming we're renewed. So, Brian. And, and, and Neil, Neil. You left out Juan Soto playing for the Yankees. How do you That's leave right. that out? Well, I, yeah, I deliberately left that out because I might be playing for the Mets. <laughs> I mean, I thought Steve Cohn was supposed to be the one that has all the money, and I see a $700 million contract going somewhere else. I, I thought that's supposed to be Steve Cohn kind of money. I thought that was what we all were expecting. Well, I guess not. It, it's, you know, expectations and reality don't always line up. Well, the reality is I may have to take a leave from the podcast to, to saddle up to third base uh, in Flushing come April. So that should be a sight for all Met fans. But anyway, that what's that? I'd buy tickets for that. There you go. That's more for the comedic value than for the actual ability. I get it. Well, Brian, um, thanks so much. I think that's it for this week. And as you said, probably our last episode for the year. So happy holidays to you, Brian, and to all our listeners. Absolutely, Neil. And I know I think we're still in the the last few days of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah to uh, everybody who's celebrating a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to uh, all of our friends, clients, colleagues, listeners, uh, the masses who are out there who turn it tune into this podcast. I think you covered everybody, Brian. All 10 of them. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Yes. Uh, I echo the same sentiments. Happy holidays to everybody. We appreciate you listening. And we will see you in 2024 for a new season, hopefully, fingers crossed, of Potomac Perspective. Take care.